we're, we're at the end of our study of Isaiah, I guess, uh, because we're going back in time in Isaiah today. We have throughout the, seri- the season of, of Advent and on into Epiphany um, been walking through with the lectionary and, and talking about Isaiah and, and the different things, the different prophecies that he has in the three books that are kind of comprised to make Isaiah. And today we're going back to chapter 9. And it's an interesting, um, interesting chapter for us. One, we've already been here during the season of Advent. Um, and it, because it's one of the greatest messianic um, Advent uh, scriptures that there is. And we're coming back to it. And um, not everybody that's preaching today in our campuses got to hit it the first time, except me. So I get to do a do-over. And it's not like you people remember what I say from week to week anyway. So I feel comfortable with that. Um, but an interesting thing that has happened, um, in, that happens in this, that was pointed out to me that I didn't see the first time through, um, is that this prophecy that we're about to hear is delivered in past tense. It's a prophecy of something that's going to happen in the future, but Isaiah refers to it as something that has already happened. There's, very, there's much significance about that. Chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will soon be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, a light that will shine on all who live in the land where death casts its shadow. Israel will again be great and its people will rejoice as people rejoice at harvest time. They will shout with joy like warriors dividing the plunder. For God will break the chains that bind his people and the whip that scourges them, just as he did when he destroyed the army of Midian with Gideon's little band. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this translation doesn't do it as much as others. But what's happening here is, If you remember, back in chapter 7 is the first time we get the prophecy of a baby. And King Ahaz is given this choice to follow with um, the the people. King Ahaz is the king of the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom. Uh, The northern kingdom, Israel, those two have been in a treaty with Assyria for years to to keep um, other people out. The the Israel kingdom decides that they're just going to go out on their own and they're going to stand against Assyria. And they're like, hey, come with us kingdom of Judah and let's stand against this oppression um, or or otherwise we're going to attack you. If you remember this, Ahaz is given these couple of choices, uh, fall by your your family or fall by your friends um, or stand with God. And and King Ahaz chooses poorly. But what Isaiah says is there will be a baby who will write all of this stuff. In chapter 8, there's another prophecy for a baby. When a baby is born... Um, one, it says that there will be destruction for your poor choices and not trusting God in chapter seven, but this baby will bring restoration in chapter nine, the third and last time. If you read beyond, um, chapter nine here, beyond where we just read, um, it mentions the baby again, and it brings with it that significant restoration and renewal of things, but that's, what's going to happen. Where they find themselves right now in this time of history is about to be attacked. They don't know it, but they're about to just be destroyed. 
as archaeologists have gone through and they've, they've uncovered different parts of different time periods and ages, have you ever been to one of those sites where you, where you see, like, here is this certain age from this long ago, and then you go up a little bit further, and, and they've carved out, like, the side of a hill, and you can see where another age has happened, where another hundred couple of years is there, and then you go up to another level and you see that? There's a few different places that I've seen these type of things. One of them is in Rome. You, you're driving through Rome, and there's this, like, just right on the... The sidewalk almost as you pass by there's this beautiful um, archaeological dig that they've done and they've dug down and you can see centuries of history built one on top of another in Israel one of the things that they've discovered is this burned out period there is a place um, in Bethsaida that uh, you see this one layer of history that is just like fried it's as if Sherman marching through Atlanta it was these the Syrians, the Assyrians coming down this road, this road that, that was Israel, that linked all of civilization. That's why it was so important. There was no way to get through these mountains but through this one way, the Via Maris. And as they go along, they're just like destroying everything in their path. And you see this. But the beautiful thing is, the next layer above, that's where the disciples came from built on top of this destruction. Bethsaida, where most of the disciples were called from, built on top of this land that was just destroyed. Zebulun and Naphtali went through the same thing. They were on the way, and the Assyrians just go through and they wipe them out on their way into Jerusalem. There's this destruction. But what Isaiah is saying is, look, but there's going to be a time when that darkness is going to be gone. Because a light will shine. Fast forward. Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew's account of the ministry of Jesus, in chapter 4 is when he says that the ministry truly begins. And the prophecy right here is what is quoted. Because if you remember, what does Jesus do? Where does he go to start his ministry? In Matthew chapter 4 it says this. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. But instead of going to Nazareth, he went to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles lived. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach. This is the moment where the ministry of Jesus begins. This is, according to Matthew, where it all starts. That Jesus goes from this one area and he goes back to this place that had just been decimated. That Isaiah says there's going to be a time when this place is just destroyed, but then a great light will come. And that great light in the form of Jesus, the Messiah, comes and says, Repent. Turn to God. For the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus' first lines of ministry, if you will, his this whole message was about the kingdom of heaven. That it's here. The entire time that we have been in the book of Isaiah, 
We have talked about the fact that Isaiah has given, that God has delivered these prophecies through Isaiah. And that every single time, although they were a little different, they all pointed to the same thing. That one day the kingdom would invade the earth. That one day all that is broken with the world would be mended. That that picture at the end of the story is glorious and beautiful. And that while there may be turbulent times in between, the truth at the end is glorious. Throughout this entire Advent and Epiphany season, we have focused on that. We have focused on the fact that one day the kingdom of heaven will explode on earth. See, but the prophecy has already happened. You know, Isaiah is delivering this prophecy in past tense as if it has already happened, although Zebulon and Naphtali at the time of him saying it haven't been attacked yet. But for God, it's done. For God, it's happened already. For us, we too should live as if it has already happened. We too should live with the understanding that the kingdom of heaven is here. For the people of Israel, they were about to go through death and destruction and exile and into horrible circumstances for generations. For us, we got it a little bit easier, don't we? I mean, we're not exiled anywhere. There's nobody who's banging on the doors of the church right now telling us we can't talk about this. There's no one who scours at you if you tell them you spend Sunday mornings periodically with your family at a house of worship. Your lives aren't threatened. And yet, somehow, I think the people of Israel who were lost in this exile maybe understood what that end vision was more than we do. Maybe it's because they needed it more. Maybe it's because in those times of turbulence and despair, in those dark moments, that's when you really need that bright light. But when it's just kind of shady, the light doesn't matter as much for some reason. When it's just kind of dusk outside, there's still enough light to play. You don't have to go back inside. And I'm not saying that I desire us to be turned into a time of darkness, because I think we already are. But our time of darkness is different than theirs. For what does Jesus say as he begins his ministry? Repent of your sins. Turn from yourself and turn to God. But I think what I have a great unfortunate tendency to do is focus on myself way too much. I have a tendency to think that it is my world and the rest of you live in it. I have a tendency to think that it's my concerns that matter and not anyone else's. I don't walk around pushing people down, stepping on babies and such. But at the same time, a lot of the decisions that I make and a lot of the ways in which I choose to live my life sometimes, unfortunately, are just for me. They're not for the kingdom. This light that dawned so many years ago that shines forth 
that said the kingdom of heaven is here. God wants us to walk in that light. To repent of our sins, to turn from ourself and to focus on him. To remember that I'm not just a son of Don and Ann Crocker, but I'm a son. I'm a son of God. And because of that, the name that I carry isn't just Crocker. And you're going to make a name for the Crocker family, son. You know, because Betty didn't do it for us. Nobody? I thought that was funny. I'll slow down. Uh, Duncan Hines crowd, apparently. But what I live for should be the name of the family business. My family business isn't baking. My family business is bringing the kingdom of heaven. Your family business isn't whatever you might think it is. It's bringing the kingdom of heaven. It's repenting of your sins. It's waking up to the fact that you are a son and daughter of the Most High God. It's being shaken maybe in the spot that you are and realize that, you know what, maybe I am living in a time of darkness and I'm just so used to it that I've become complacent. For the people of Israel, time and time again, Isaiah came back with prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. You would think at some point they'd go, hey, I think this guy knows what he's talking about. But it's so easy when you become complacent. It's so easy when you just get comfortable where you are. It's like the frog in the frying pan. You put a frog in a hot frying pan, it jumps right out. You put a frog in a cold frying pan and you turn up the heat, he'll stay there until he's gone. So often I think we've been in this frying pan for so long we don't realize that the heat is building around us. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. A light has come. It is our chance to walk from the darkness into this light and to tell the people behind us, come on. Turn to God our Father for the kingdom of heaven is here. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the fact that in state of darkness you brought forth light. In moments of despair you bring forth the joy of salvation and redemption. God, forgive us for those moments, those times when we have become complacent about our relationship with you. That we have lost ourselves in the mundaneness of our life. We go through the motions. We don't experience the joy that you long for us to experience. We don't move into the light to find warmth and peace and strength the way that we should. Give us the strength and the courage to walk out of the darkness that we might be finding ourselves in right now and to walk in to your presence, to your light. And help us to not go alone, but to bring others with us. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus.